the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. Park your truck, get off your motorcycle, and leave your bull at the door. Come on in to the No Bull Roadhouse. Here are your hosts, Dave Stahl and Steve Cohen. All right, folks, welcome to No Bull Roadhouse. Right here on FM 96, 1 AM 1170, The Answer. Steve Cohen is the host of this show, and I've known Steve for many, many years. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Dave, it's good to see you. All right, get up a little closer to the old microphone. There you go. You know, the deal is you encouraged me to do this like so many years ago. (laughs) How many years? 20. I know. So now 20 years later, we're both older guys, and I to hell with it. Let's go ahead and do this, because we know... Used to be road, used to be roadhouses all around. Uh, I know America. People would just stop by, hang out. You yeah. never know who you'd bump you, into. You never, never know. And I think this and is such what, a perfect time to bring this type of a format to the to the airways yeah. because everything is so politically correct nowadays. It's ridiculous. I think the idea here is let's meet some people you yeah. don't usually meet, and let's just figure out what it is we have in common for a change, yeah. and just have a, and have some fun. Have with some it. fun. Hey, we got a superstar on the line. You got it. But the only key here is that, that you have to leave your bull at the door. Yeah. <laughs> No problem there's here, no, brother. No bull allowed in, in this roadhouse. No way. Okay? Park your semi in you the it. lot and come on in. Sure. So who you got on the line? I have Tom Jordan. Tom Jordan is the number one radio host in Detroit, WWJ, but he also was an anchor at KUSI-TV in San Diego for for many years and a good friend. Yeah. But now the next primary is going to happen Tuesday in his state. And I said, hey, Tom, come on in and talk about it. Tom, how you doing? Hey, you guys. I, uh, <laughs> hold on a sec. I got to leave my bowl at the door. I brought it in. Hold on. I knew, I knew okay, you would bring it, it in with you. So, so lock it up somewhere, will you? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's staying outside in the backyard. And we'll, uh, we'll get rid of it for good. Yeah, hey, congratulations. You both of you together. This is a perfect combination and I'm I'm so glad to hear both of you. I love you guys. Oh say privilege to be on the show. Tom, I you were one of the best guy I I always look forward to doing my segments with you. You were engaging, <laughs> we had fun. But tell us, number one, whoa, congratulations. Yeah, having a good time. Uh you know, when I left San Diego it was twenty thirteen, March first. Uh, 2013 i i left the sunny skies and i landed in a very overcast gray and frigid detroit michigan i thought where am i in warsaw where where am i uh but we've i've grown to love it because it's a phenomenal news town it's full of rich culture and there's a lot of eastern european feel and steve knows this because steve uh worked in detroit uh for a number of years at the abc affiliate here wxyz and was a news director for a long time here, um, but I, I miss you guys. I miss San Diego. Yeah, it's great. I'm at WJR now in Detroit. It's mm-hmm. uh, probably the most powerful radio station. It, it reaches like 29 yeah. states it, over the it's, year. It's an old so school, it's fifty thousand water. Right. But it goes. It goes everywhere yeah. in the Midwest. In fact, it, you can pick it up sometimes in the middle of the night if you're driving a long haul truck across America. Yeah. You can there still you go. Get it. 
Tom, I wanted to jump into this, we, and then we can reminisce yeah. a little bit before you leave. Uh, but, you know, on Tuesday, you're the next state up in terms of the Michigan with the Michigan primary. And my understanding is that Nikki Haley has already left to do some speechifying in Michigan. What does yeah. Michigan look like in this primary? Let's start with the Republicans first. Uh, what, what, what are you thinking is going to happen to Miss Haley? And where is Donald Trump uh, as you look out at the state right now? This is probably the most interesting super, uh, well, going into Super Tuesday, the GOP primary I've ever witnessed in my years of covering anything, because I don't remember a time when there's been only one dominant candidate uh, at this point in the race. And yeah, Nikki Haley, she came in today to Michigan. She's in the metro Detroit area uh, in a town called Troy Mm -hmm. campaigning. Then she's going to head over to Grand Rapids tomorrow. Uh, coming off her loss in South Carolina. But, you know, contextually, when you look at how she has done in New Hampshire and these other states, she actually did, I think, in my view, contextually and proportionally pretty well. She, she got like 30, 300,000 votes to Donald Trump's 450. I, know, but I don't hope- think there's any chance she's going to win the same because mm-hmm. even in Michigan, where there it is a swing state, she is going to be attractive to some of the moderate Republicans here, uh, the, the DeVos types, the Fred Upton types. But it, it, Donald Trump, they do these polls here, and he is crushing it. And I think the, the sentiment here in Michigan, as it is across the country, is that people are very concerned about the far leftward trajectory this country has taken so quickly in the past three years. And they they can honestly, objectively look at their lives and their pocketbooks and their sense of freedoms and say, even the ones that don't like Donald Trump, like, listen, my, my life was better three years ago. Right. America was and better. He was, he was the guy you know, under it. But Nick, you know, in, in uh, Carolina yesterday, uh, Haley got uh, 40% to his 60%. But the nature of that primary was that Democrats could vote for her. And 40% of the people who voted for her were Democrats, basically people who just, as you just described, did not like Donald Trump. In a true primary, where it would have been only Republicans, it, it would have been 80-20. So what's it like yeah. in Michigan in terms of who gets to vote for whom? Yeah, it's your standard primary uh, where Republicans got to vote for Republicans and Democrats mm-hmm. for Democrats. And in that context, Donald Trump, is it's a no-brainer. Nikki Haley is going to join me tomorrow morning on a program, and she's going to con- try to convince us that she can. I mean, she does say she believes that she can win in Michigan, I, and I think she'll be a strong second, but there's... I don't think, based on the polling here, there's a right, chance but, she is going to win. At, let's look at history. I mean, Donald Trump did prevail in the state, not by much, but but he did prevail uh, in the general yeah. election. And also, I think she's shooting for uh, suburb, you know, suburbanites, particularly suburban women in uh, Washtenaw County, which is where Ann Arbor is, and then of course mm-hmm. uh, the city, the city itself, which is Wayne County. Uh, and Donald Trump is going to do much better in the in the totality of the state. And then you've got that crazy upper peninsula up there, which is in a whole different yeah. time zone, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's uh, some people think it's uh, part of Minnesota. Parts of it are closer <laughs> to Minnesota. There's more Vikings fans over there than there are Detroit Lions fans. But I think you're right. I think Nikki Haley, she's trying to differentiate herself and her leadership style. And she's trying to position herself as more of a unifier and a kind of a pragmatic problem solver. And she's, characterizing Donald Trump as this guy where chaos follows him wherever he goes, and she's the person that's just looking ahead in the future. And if you want to be free from all the entanglements of the, you know, the past administration's controversies, 
vote for her. And I think it is an attractive message, as I you know, mentioned, but, to but, the suburbanites. But, but, but putting on your journalistic hat, you would have to say that she's just currently just a, a block and an impediment to what really needs to happen, which is that the, the Republican Party needs to admit that Trump is the presumptive nominee and get on with the longer range issue of being able to take Biden on regardless yeah. of the 91 indictment counts against uh, the former president. Yeah, uh, Donald Trump, that, that's how he's portraying it as well. He spoke at CPAC over the weekend. He said, listen, I'm the guy, I'm the only one that can save this country from the drastic Biden administration, the policies it put in place, and no one else can dig as deep as I can to drain the swamp, as he kind of puts it. So that that's Donald Trump's message. And I think he's right. But, you know, Steve, it's interesting because the last two, like, look, look at Super Tuesday. I When I was in San Diego working for you in 2008, in 2012, those are the last Super Tuesdays I worked uh, right. uh, in San Diego and California was. And you had pretty, like in 2008, it was John McCain, Mitt Romney, Mike Huckabee, Ron Paul. You had almost a three-way tie uh, into March between McCain and Romney and Huckabee. That's right. And then you look at 2012, it was Romney, Santorum, and Newt Gingrich. Romney and Santorum were, were pretty yes. close as well. And never have I seen this early in the race where people are saying the Republicans are like, Listen, we need to unify around one candidate. I've never seen that happen before. I don't know if you have either. Uh, I have not. I have not. I have not. And also, we've never seen uh, a candidate in the, take four primaries in a row and look yeah. at uh, what the future is, that he is someone that is on his way to getting, after Super Tuesday, the majority of the votes he needs. We know that he needs over 1,000 votes. He'll have something like 150 after Tuesday. We're going to have a minute here, Tom. You're used to this. And then we'll come back and I want to talk about the Democratic side of the aisle and what's happening to Biden and Dearborn, Michigan right after this. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right, buddy. Hang in there. Hey, folks, you're listening to No Bull Roadhouse FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. Ah, man. The lights are flickering again. Looks like we got to pay us some bills. We'll be right back to the No Bull Roadhouse right after this. Folks, y'all can come back into the No Bull Roadhouse. Here are your hosts, Dave Stahl and Steve Cohen. All right, folks, welcome back to No Bull Roadhouse right here on FM 961 AM 1170. The answer, we got Steve Cohen in the house and a special, special guest and a good friend of the show, Tom Jordan, all the way back in Detroit. Tom, how's it going? Hey, good. So good to be back in San Diego, even if it's over the airwaves. Uh, I miss my hometown and love to visit when I can, but great to be with the two of you. Good friends. All right. So, Tom, tell tell me now uh, what's going on with uh, Joe Biden. It seems that there's an effort there in Michigan to to vote because you actually can cast a vote which is not committed. And that there yeah. are folks that live in Dearborn, most of them of, of Arab uh, background and, uh, and descent. Uh, who seem mm-hmm. to want to take Trump to task for his uh, what has been a balanced view of what's happening in Gaza and Israel. What do you, what do you think is happening there? Yeah, and I've spoken to a number of them, the, the uh, city leaders in Dearborn, Michigan, and they are furious with Joe Biden. And remember, I mean, they, they had they voted for him in 2020. They love the guy. They're not typically voting Republican. But but over the past year, 
many of them have come out against Biden policies. You know, a few months ago, it was what was happening in their schools. Because remember, a, a lot of Arab Americans are Muslim, and Muslims don't like what's happening to these kids, you know, the transgender issues and hiding it from the parents. They, they totally oppose that. So that was a big blow up a few months back uh, here in the Dearborn area, Metro Detroit. But Rashida Tlaib, um, she is, you know, Congresswoman, and she's basically represents her districts in a big part of Detroit and in Dearborn, Michigan. Right. And she has come out with some very strong anti-Semitic statements and is infuriated with Joe Biden's support of Israel in this fight. And she and a lot of her constituents in Dearborn feel that they've been betrayed by Joe Biden as if the United States has ever not been an ally of Israel since they were founded as a country so many decades ago. And that it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But Rashida Tlaib has been leading this fight. But I think that, but, you know, Tom, but I think that's what's, what's new from my experience, of course, being a part of uh, the Detroit metropolitan area for many years, that that was not the viewpoint of, uh, of folks from Dearborn or, or, or other ethnic pockets. They have been radicalized by her, yeah. and she has a different level of speech, which is uh, fund, you know, a fun, fundamentalist uh, Islamic uh, uh, speech, which is not what the majority of people of Dearborn are, who are much more moderates and centrist in their in their views. So something has happened over these years, and then of course it's exacerbated by uh, what folks feel is uh, overreach by Netanyahu uh, in Gaza. Yeah, yes, and they don't like what Netanyahu is. They don't, they don't like his response to mm-hmm. October seventh. And in fact, I just spoke to one of the leaders in Dearborn the other day who's running for Senate, and he believes that much of what happened on October 7th didn't really occur. Mm. This is the message that's happening, and it's it's been radicalized more and more so in the Dearborn area. There's been some very controversial protests in recent weeks, in the past couple of months, really denouncing Israel for even being on that land. So there is a strong push. So what do you think happens to Biden? Do you think that the noncommittals actually will send a message, or is it just going to be a small group of uh, somewhat radical-thinking yeah. uh, Islamic fundamentalists? Yeah. As loud as they are, I think it's a minority of opinion amongst Democrats. I think that he's easily going to win this primary. There's not much competition with you know Dean Phillips, and Marion Williamson's out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going he's gonna to win. Uh, there will be some people who are, there, there, it seems to be a sentiment, not just amongst the Dearborn community, but, you know, a growing number of Democrats in general seem to support the idea of pulling out of Gaza, and they don't like Joe Biden's public stance on w- what he, you know, says he supports, which is the nation of Israel. Um, they're pushing back against him uh, in, in more than just the Dearborn community. Still, I think most Democrats, and certainly most Republicans, but most Democrats, do support, I think it's like 75%, support the United States uh, considering Israel an ally. Yeah, I, I think but, that, that my, my take on your region, though, Michigan, not unlike other Midwestern states, people are, are not focused on foreign policy, and that includes the Ukraine and Taiwan, as they are on their own economic situation mm-hmm. as you're sitting in Detroit or you're sitting in Flint, Michigan, and wondering, uh, you know, 
Everyone tells me that the economy is doing better, but I'm not feeling it. Don't you think that those issues still are the predominant issues in this election? Yes, I think there's two main issues, and I know they want to steer to it like abortion, but I think most Democrats still feel that the economy is number one, and more Democrats are also feeling that now the U.S.-Mexico border and border security is number two. That's the sense here in Michigan, and they don't like what they see. Listen, listen half of the population uh, makes $41,000 a year. And so when rent is about 2000 a month, you've got a $500 a month car payment. Your total gross, your, your net income every month is $3,000. You're not making it. And inflation, ever since Joe Biden took over, is up about 16 17% on, on average. Grocery bills are more than that. Car payments are more than that. So regardless of these left-leaning economists who come out, Janet Yellen was here the other day with Gretchen Whitmer saying, oh, it's healthy. The economy's great. We're all thriving. <laughs> And people are just what, scratching their heads. So, what planet are you from? No, I, I, th- I think Tom that you in our house that you are in a uh, paycheck to paycheck state. Right. And so are we in California in a paycheck to paycheck state. Unless you are a member of the you know economic elite, and uh, there aren't that many economic elites around in California. There aren't because they've all left. Tom Jordan, I just want to thank you so much. Absolutely. for spending some time with us. Uh, we're going to have you on again. We'll talk about your cigars and that, that wonderful aroma that surrounded you whenever you were nearby, my friend. I'm sh- I hope yeah. you're not smoking as many, but I still hope you smoke one every once in a while. Thank you so much, Tom. Steve and Dave, it's so good to talk to you. Congrats on the show, and, and I appreciate you guys. All right, buddy. You take care and be safe. All right. Boy, I tell you, Tom is such a great guy. But, hey, we have got Rita McDonald up next. This is quite a story that Rita has to tell us. Well, this, she's talking about a sore subject in my mind, and that's San Onofre. So let's talk to her. Rita, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really excited. Well, this is the inaugural show, so we will send this to you, and you can keep it in your archives. Tell us about San Onofre. Well, San Onofre is a decommissioned nuclear power plant where 3.6 million pounds of nuclear waste are stored about 100 feet from the Pacific Ocean in thin wall canisters. And um, unfortunately, these thin wall canisters are susceptible to corrosion cracking because it's a marine environment. Go figure. Yeah. How do we get? How do we get to that? that th- this this situation, reader, because we know that in America, there are eighty eight thousand tons of radioactive waste that has been put some in something. Right. But right. but none of it has been put as close to the ocean across from Camp Pendleton, San Clemente. And the three million people of San Diego County. So how the, how the heck did we get to this circumstance? Well, it's even worse than that, Steve. Uh, I'll talk about how we got to that, but I do want to address one minor issue. San Onofre is located in an earthquake zone, two major fault lines, in addition to being in a tsunami inundation zone. So not only is it 100 feet from the ocean, but we have these geologic issues that could that could really devastate us as Orange County, as San Diego County, even into L.A. County. It could be an environmental catastrophe like we've never seen before. And how we got there? Well, in my opinion, we got there because we have we don't have the political will to do something about it. 
to date. And we have uh, an industry that has managed to capture the quote-unquote regulators that are supposed to be concerned about these issues, but instead they wink at them. So, so hold on a second. So you're telling our, our listening audience that there is no uh, coherent policy in the United States of America for radioactive waste. Is that is that? that is, yeah, that is exactly wow. that is exactly my belief. That so, is exactly my belief. So they're going to be reactive not proactive so they're only going to wait and then when the problem happens then they're going to try to figure out what doesn't that kind of remind you of palestine you know didn't with the with the, with the train derailment and what right. have you but rita tell us what the difference is between what happened in east palestine and, and what could right. happen at san onofre oh well, that's easy um we have dangerous toxic radioactive waste um that can kill people pretty much instantaneously if if the if if it's a bad enough and it can it it lasts the the danger the toxicity lasts for a hundred thousand years because of the half life of of the uh, of the waste of the radioactive waste. So what? So, so this what, is something. Sorry. No. So what is it? I mean, you you represent a foundation, uh, SL, right. uh, SLF Foundation. Which, the Samuel Lawrence Foundation. We're a nonprofit five hundred one. C3 nonprofit, the Samuel Lawrence Foundation. And uh, we're located in San Diego County, so we're very, very concerned about this issue because it impacts everyone here. So you, you are actually the true epicenter of the problem of radioactive waste is what your foundation is part of and after. So outline for us, what, what do you think needs to happen in order to ameliorate some of this problem, or at least to get it into a pattern where we're not as much existentially threatened? Well, the first thing I think we have to do is have better monitors. Right now, we really don't know because of the way, because of the limited monitoring, and I mean limited monitoring of radiation at, at San Onofre. So we have to monitor better. Uh, what San Onofre, UC San Diego has some amazing technology that we would like to see instantiated at San Onofre. Okay, that's one theory. Then the other thing is, is that you have these thin wall canisters that have a life of about 20, 25 years. And they're warranted for, I think, 20 years. And so they're going to start, we believe that, and, and we've seen it at other places, where you get through wall cracking and you could have leaking, serious leaking of radiation. It is even possible uh, to have an explosion as a result, which would be really devastating. Um, and so we, what we'd like to see is the canisters uh, removed, put into thick wall casts. And, those, and in order to do that, you need to build what's known as a hot cell, not to get technical on you guys, but you need to build what's called a hot cell, which is essentially a lead-based building where you can bring the the thin wall canisters, remove the nuclear waste, and put it into a thick wall cast, which 
has survived earthquakes and has survived okay. uh, tsunamis. You want her to hang in for a little yeah, bit? I do. Let's take, let's take a deep breath and then let's come back and try to uh, you know, d- delve a little bit more into what that all means and how can it get done if it can at all. Right. Okay, thanks, Rita. Hold on. Hang on, Rita. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Noble Roadhouse FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. Ah, oh, man. The lights are flickering again. Looks like we got to pay us some bills. We'll be right back to the No Bull Roadhouse right after this. All right, folks. Y'all can come back into the No Bull Roadhouse. Here are your hosts, Dave Stahl and Steve Cohen. All right, folks. Welcome back to No Bull Roadhouse, FM 961-1170. The answer so, all right, uh, let's, uh, Steve, let's get back to yeah, uh, chat with Rita. Rita, so let's pick up where we left off there. What is that? What do you call it? A safe house, a safe room? Uh, what is it that you're looking to reorient it, these thin, ca- thin, thin caskets and putting them into a safer spot? Go over that again for us. Okay, so what we propose is building a hot cell, which you're right, it's like a safe room. It's where you can safely unload. Uh, the canisters, the thin wall canisters, and you can take out the nuclear waste and you can put it into a thick wall cast. And um, these thick wall casts have been seen to survive earthquakes. Like, for example, at Fukushima, there was an over seven earthquake. They survived it just fine. And they also survived the tsunami that happened as well. So we know they work. So what is it? What is we want a solution that works? So if if the solution is already there, and the United States government sees that it is, why (laughs) is it that we have three point six million pounds of radioactive waste on by the ocean? I I just don't understand. And we're not protecting it, right? What what's what's the reasoning and the solution? You have a solution, but how come we we're not able to get there, Rita? Play that out for us. I think there. I think it's a combination that the nuclear industry has captured our regulators. Mm. I think this is Rita's opinion that the nuclear industry basically owns the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and owns, uh, you know, the California Energy Commission. Unfortunately, but, and, is, but isn't uh, it in everybody's and, best interest to make it safe? Yeah. I, 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 that's what I'm not. That's you what I'm missing. Think- well, I think the the problem is the dollar sense of it. You know, it costs several billions of dollars, and it could be, it, it potentially it could be less profitable for these uh, for these um, uh, companies, and it could and there could be liability issues that they did this, and you know, who knows that that there could be potential lawsuits against these various providers that they provided an unsafe solution, and now they need to replace it, and you know, it's going to cost billions of dollars to do this. So where is the political will to do what uh, your foundation seems to have your arms around? I mean, it doesn't sound like there's anything here that you're proposing that is a radical change in what anyone would consider pure common sense about radioactive material. What? Well, that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to create political, political will by educating the public about what a true existential threat the nuclear waste at San Onofre is. If you if you, you know, like, if you went to if you went to the gas lamp tonight 
and just you know put up a lawn chair <laughs> and a sign and said to somebody, where does the disposal of radioactive waste fall into either your consciousness or in your list of things that are important for the national agenda, do you think you'd get a dozen people that would say it's in the top 10? No, I don't, unfortunately. Wow. Because people just don't understand. It's invisible. It's an invisible problem. It's it's literally, it's just like the trains. It's like people ride the trains and you think they're inherently safe uh, until you have East Palestine, where you had environmental devastation. Mm-hmm. But the environmental devastation that we would have with uh, a nuclear, um, one of these Chernobyl, uh, each each canister has the radioactivity, the radioactive waste of a Chernobyl. Each that, one, and how many how, can, how many canisters are there again? Like 120 plus. Oh. So that's 120 times Chernobyl. That's what we're looking at oh on the shores God. of, of uh, San, Onofre, San Onofre, right? That's why we say it would be a, an it could be potentially become an environmental disaster like this country has never seen. Right. What, and what what are you saying to just folks like Dave and I and the people that are listening? So what the heck can we all do to help you out to get this message out right. there and to raise the consciousness of America that this is an absolutely a true existential threat? Well, the first thing is, is you can go to our, our website, Samuel Lawrence Foundation. That's three words, SamuelLawrenceFoundation.org, O-R-G. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, we have a call to action where we have various letters. You can, and we have a petition where we're petitioning the state of California that we want them to do something about this, to build, you know, to, to build a hot house, get this move, you know, like monitor and move the the waste and from San Onofre. Wow. So, so you're saying that grassroots activism is probably the only real course right now, or can we rely on someone that we elect to help us out along the way here? I think I think grassroots activism is the only thing we can we can really um, use to move the needle. We really need to move the needle and have this as on the forefront of San Diego, Orange County, and LA, even L.A. County residents, because this is something that would greatly impact, you know, within with there, within 50 miles of San Onofre, there are 9, 9 million plus residents. I mean, think about the devastation that could occur if there was, if there was, um, you know, a nuclear explosion at San Onofre from from one of these thin wall canisters. I think, Rita, that one of the hardest things we ever have to face is raising the consciousness and the narrative mm-hmm. of our citizenry because right. we get stuck on things that do matter, but we have a lot of things that we don't see uh, that or we don't know about. Right. And I think that right. this this educative process that you all are about with your foundation and you as a absolute warrior for a cause that I know you're so committed to. Uh, if, if there was if there was a medal, we Dave and I would give you the medal in a heartbeat. Uh, but I'll tell you, we're we're going to be we're going to be talking about this. We're going to stay with you, and we're going to encourage our listeners to please uh, search you out and go to the website. Rita, thanks so much for being part of our uh, inaugural show and giving us such an insight into a problem that just needs to be thought 
thoughtfully taken care of. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it, guys. All right, you take care, Rita. Wow. I mean, is that a problem getting ready to explode or what? When you look at almost 90,000 tons of radioactive material with no coherent American policy, remember that we had Yucca Mountain. Right. And we, we, we hauled out Yucca Mountain, which is in Nevada. Cost us eighteen billion dollars. Right. Okay. A guy named Harry Reid said, "Oh no, we're not going to put anything in Yucca Mountain." <laughs> and a guy named Obama went along with them. Yeah. They killed the project. So we've got a hole in a mountain that's just, empty, just sitting there, sitting there. All right. Who you got coming up next? Well, I've, I have to say, uh, I have one of my favorite people. He's an artist, uh, a raconteur, a world traveler, but. For us, he is George Crazy Man Mullen, who <laughs> believes that he has the answer to the homeless crisis, not only in San Diego, but in America. No kidding. Yes. Hey, George, welcome to the show. So you've got the ticket, uh, huh? <laughs> thank you for having me on. George, Let t- talk to us about your project, Sunbreak. Let our viewers know what it is, and then, let, let, then let's just talk openly about where you're going with it. All right. Well, it's a, it, the concept is called Sunbreak Ranch. And uh, what Sunbreak Ranch is, it's a compassion-centered, voluntary triage facility geared to helping all of our homeless brothers and sisters. And we're talking about the San Diego region because that's what uh, we're primarily concerned with. But this could be the model that becomes the uh, pilot program for the nation on how to handle this problem. And what it's about is instead of all the Band-Aids that we continue to try and place in solving the homeless problem, uh, actually tackling the whole problem and establishing a location solution, a large area uh, as a triage that you can bring all of our homeless brothers and sisters where you have all the homeless service providers there, Father Joe's, Alpha, Salvation Army, Pace, etc. You have large medical tents, mess halls, and then you have uh, soft-sided housing for everyone there and segmented by you know single men, single women, veterans, those with dogs, families, and senior it, citizens. George, is it meant to handle all of the folks? That, so let's say on our streets uh, there's a number somewhere between uh, 1,500 and 2,500 folks that might be on the streets uh, in San Diego or any, uh, any point in time. Is it meant to take all of those people in or just to take some of them and then move them into other facilities? No, I mean, it's geared to taking them all in, but the goal is to act as a triage to help move them on to where it's best going to help them, whether it's a detox facility or transitional living in El Cajon or Oceanside or downtown, or they need to go to the hospital. It's meant to be a large triage, so we're not trying to keep people there long-term. We're trying to figure out what's going on in their life and help help them get to the next step to get back into independent living. And it is geared towards handling everyone, and that's key. Uh, you know, 1,500 to 2,500, I think, is probably a low figure from what's really out there. But our original uh, Summit Ranch um, architectural rendering is set up on 70 acres and to be able to house up to 5,000 persons. Right. This is a, that, modu- a modular facility. It can expand or contract based on the need. And where, where does the law stand uh, currently in America in terms of being able to go to a homeless person and command them to go to a place like the ranch. Does it, is that where we are now, or is it just a matter of political will not being there, or both? Well, I think it's both, but it really comes down to there's a court decision, which I think is used more as an excuse, 
so that the cities and states can just throw up their hands and say we can't do anything. But there was a, a Ninth Circuit court decision, 2018, called Martin versus the City of Boise. And what the decision was effectively is you can't criminalize a homeless per- person for being homeless. Mm-hmm. And I think probably all your listeners probably would agree with that. We're not trying to hurt them. We're trying to help them. Right. So, Tell you what, George, do you want want him to hang? Can you stick with us? Uh, George, we'll bring you back after the break because I think this is an extremely important topic and we just can't thank you enough for being on. So stick with us. This is an old bull roadhouse right here on FM 96.1 AM 1170, The Answer. Aw, man, the lights are flickering again. Looks like we got to pay us some bills. We'll be right back to the no bull roadhouse right after this. Folks, y'all can come back into the No Bull Roadhouse. Here are your hosts, Dave Stahl and Steve Cohen. All right, folks, welcome back to No Bull Roadhouse. FM 96.1 AM 1170. Got Steve Cohen in the house. Man, I tell you what, folks, we're having way more fun than you are. But I hopefully, hopefully you're enjoying it as much as we are. So, Steve, should we get back to George? Yeah, George, let, let, let's pick up where you left off. I'm, I'm trying to get a sense from you of what it is that's keeping what I think is an outstanding idea that you've had through the years. What's keeping it from happening? Is it because there's just no political will to say to people on the street, you need to get out off the street and go to the ranch? Yeah, I would say it's political will because, you know, we've been at this for a while now. We have huge momentum. Most of the public, wherever we go speaking, is like 100%. This idea makes perfect sense. Let's do it. We have a, an endorsement team of, of all tons of civic leaders in San Diego that want this to happen. It's really the political will that's the obstacle right now. And the problem is that the elected of our elected officials, they want to keep doing the exact same thing that's failed for years, and that's keep asking for more and more money and keep doing Band-Aid approaches to try and solve the problem. And it's clearly not working. This problem has exploded in San Diego and, and nationwide. Now, what what is it about the... I'm going to call them the political elites or the power structure that seems to be opposed to you. That in, in San Diego, that would be the mayor. That would be the last newspaper, the Union Tribune. That would be uh, alternate press like the Voice of San Diego. What is it? Because when I look at your endorsement list, I'll tell you, I've never seen a, a, a list that's more bipartisan, more inclusive, more of people on all sides of the aisle that are behind your project. So mm-hmm. what is it about the power elites that they seem to not like your project? Yeah, and you're exactly right about the endorsement. I mean, it is very bipartisan. You know, it, it remains somewhat of a mystery, but that they don't want to backtrack from what their policy has been. And they've always had this mantra of uh, housing first. And we're not against housing at all. Keep building it. But we're effectively saying triage first. You can't let people keep dying on our streets like mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but they just, it seems to go in one ear and out the other. And, and we do have some uh, political endorsements. Uh, Jim Desmond's on board, mm-hmm. as well as uh, uh, Joel Anderson. And we've talked to a lot of others, and a lot of others see what we're saying, but aren't willing to step up and come on board. But and and, and can, the, can, you build it, can you build this without having the support of the uh, chief executive uh, of the city, meaning the mayor, because someone has to say, you're not going to live on the street. You're going to Sunbreak yeah. Ranch, right? Otherwise, you could build it and no one would come. Is that fair? That's exactly right. And that's why it goes back to that court decision. Once we provide a place where it's a safe, clean, secure place for everyone in need, 
then we can return to enforcing rule of law on the streets. But you can't do it because of that court decision until you have a, a bed and a place for everyone. But with Sunbreak Ranch, we will now have met the court's conditions. But we need the mayor and council to say, police department, now you can return to enforcing rule of law. Sunbreak Ranch will always be a voluntary place. But once you have that's, a that's a really place, important. Po- that's an important point. Yeah. You're not forcing people into no, the, into these not. facilities. And uh, go over the funding mechanism here. Is this um, public money and private money, or is it all private money? How do you how do you see the way you finance the the acreage and uh, what you have to develop? Well, once we're a unified community, then we can really start tackling that. But we can't really tackle that until we're a unified community, which means we need the political leadership on board with us. But at that point, it's probably looking at public and private. But if we, on the pilot program, if we have to go private to prove the concept over six months, so be it. We'll work at that angle. But we need the entire community on board. We have the the population. We have the civic leaders. We just need the elected officials, the mayor and council on board. Then we can really start exploring what's possible because this isn't just a problem here. It's across the country and people are desperate for a solution. You know, know, George, you have have the heart of of an artist, uh, of which you are an artist, of course, and do sculpture and other things. And And I know you, and you have a sense of compassion about people. So when people say that some very ranch is somehow less humane than where we are now. How do you respond to that? Yeah, well, I, I say anyone that says that really doesn't either, hasn't read anything about Sunbreak Ranch and knows what we're trying to do, or they want to continue this misery on the streets. Because 165 homeless persons died on our streets in 2019. In 2022, 574 died. That's an increase of 250 percent deaths on the streets. And we're not talking from one person to three persons. And how's that compared to COVID deaths? How would you say that compares to COVID deaths? Yeah, that I can't answer, Steve. Well, I think I know the the answer. The answer is that it's comparable. So look at what we did to take care of COVID, which basically was we shut down down the county and we shut down America. And here you are with a very uh, somewhat narrow focused uh, plan, which is to say we've got a few thousand people that need help. They really do need help or they're going to die. Let's do something. And you're saying what's being done is just not nearly enough or not comprehensive enough to get at the problem. Is that your, your basic premise? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right on the money. I mean, if we had a, a, an earthquake here, FEMA, would, you know, and 25,000 houses were destroyed, FEMA would come in here yep. and set up effectively Sunbreak Ranches as operations to help the people get off the streets, have uh, you know, portable showers, bathrooms, mm-hmm. the whole deal, mess halls. So why aren't we doing this for our homeless population? I mean, right. these people are in misery on the streets. They're getting preyed upon by drug dealers, yep. cartel members, yep. sexual predators. Yeah. It's so inhumane what we're allowing to happen in the in the name of being humane, letting people do what they want. It's crazy. Hey, George. It's how, just nuts. George, how does the public get a hold of you or, or help you? Or I'm sure you have a website. Yeah, yeah, sunbreakranch.com. That's sunbreak, S-U-N-B-R-E-A-K, ranch, R-A-N-C-H.com. And on the website, uh, people can find out all about Sunbreak Ranch and how to help. And there you go. we want everyone involved, Republican, Democrat, uh, it doesn't matter. There everyone is invited to be a part of this to solve the problem, because this is a humanitarian problem. This isn't right or left. It's yeah. Well, and, all, and, also, and also to our, to our audience, uh, George and the people that are behind this, this is – Wholly a volunteer effort. That's right. uh, it, this comes from their heart, and they have an answer. And when people say to me all the time, "Well, Steve, 
There's no answers out there. I say, no, there are answers. There's people, always answers. People just aren't listening to them. That's exactly right. So thank you, George. Well, Appreciate it. That's, it's been my honor, Steve. Thank you for having me on board. All right, take buddy. Care. You take care. And uh, hey, folks, penny to a million. You can always give back. Talk to you later, man. We'll definitely have you back. See how the program's going. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. Who you got next? Martha. Hey, Martha. <laughs> Martha Martin. Hi, guys. Hey, Martha. How are you? Hey, this is a soul. I'm good. Ladies and gentlemen, this this is a unique soul. I'm not even sure that she actually isn't just a muse because she is, uh, she is involved in so many things. Fundamentally, Martha and I know each other because of her art. And I'm just wondering, Martha, because this is radio and this is why I love radio. Can you... Tell us a little bit about your what your art is like, and then we'll talk about other things, of course, as well. But define your art for you. I've seen some wonderful things you've done. I think it's acrylic, right? Not oil. So descri- describe actually, what... I actually use water-soluble oils. Go ahead. So, so talk, kind of talk about it. So it's water-soluble oils on canvas, mostly, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what... Yeah, it's a new and, series I'm working on that kind of looks at plants as sentient creatures that are aware of us. They're conscious creatures um and so i am you know i started with the rose but i got many more ahead uh i love the water soluble oils they work like oils that clean up like acrylics uh right and so and and you and and tell us about the size of what a canvas looks like are you doing tiny canvases or larger canvases give us give our audience a sense of the size of what you're painting both both so uh so the the main piece is lady rose if you go to humannatureart.art you can see a preview um that one is about three foot by four foot i hope to do ones much larger um i got like sort of a renaissance style like imagine um tim burton meets dolly meets you know uh (laughs) da vinci Uh, i'm kind of mixing the the renaissance and the and the so there's a there's a realism there's a realism to what you do because you there's when someone looks at a canvas they're going to immediately see what you're representing right this is not uh, yeah. this is not abstract expressionism exactly yeah very realistic in fact when when you, if you stand in front of if you're if you're looking at Lady Rose in person for me and a lot of other people they go wow she's breathing uh, you can the canvas seems to move um, I also use some tricks with um, I, I use acrylic as well as the water soluble oils and one secret I use is this uh, black that absorbs 99% of light. So it really gives this contrast with the the the, the painting versus mm-hmm. the background. And she, the is rose it, has it, an is eye. It like, so is it, it like a, a is it like a is it a black gesso or is it just a black uh, so another type of uh, black paint? It's a new type of paint. It's called Black 4.0. Mm-hmm. And it, you may have to, if you, if you look it up, you'll see where people might paint a room or paint a car or paint an object, and they turn it, and you can't see any lines at all because it, it absorbs all the light. Very so when I use it on the canvas against the color, it just gives this pop because there's no reflection. Wow. And Martha, you know, as an artist, and I know this is one of your passions, which is to say that we want we want art to be part of who we are. Play that out a little bit for us. Yeah. Why is art so important? Oh goodness! I mean, <laughs> have you got an hour? <laughs> right? Yeah. Where to start? Um, I mean, look back from from as far back as, as cave paintings to the to the Renaissance, um, to Egyptian pyramids. We, as a society, we're always 
wanting to express and communicate um, our experience and our history, and we want to beautify things. Um, you know, when artists come in, they make a city prettier. People want to live there. Um, you know, what, one thing I hope we get into is kind of the economics of art. You know, I was really fortunate to be at this uh, presentation of arts and economic prosperity about a month ago. Yeah. Um, really beautiful. San Diego Museum of Photographic Arts in Balboa Park. And they highlighted, you know, arts isn't just like this black hole you throw money into and nothing happens with it. It creates a lot of economic activity. Absolutely. In San Diego County, we had $1.4 billion in economic activity. Mar- Martha. In it. Hey, Martha, did you hear the yeah, music? Yeah, we, 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 we got, we got, we're tailing out, but we're going we're to have you back next week, okay? Sure. We, we want to do so much more with you. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us. Ladies and gentlemen, Martha Martin, really an incredible individual. Absolutely. Thank, thank give you so give much, out your web, give your website out one thank more time. For sticking on feet for twenty years to do this, I love it. And what's, you. what's your website? Humannatureart.art. All right, kiddo. Take care. Thank you very much. Back to me. Back to you, brother. So I just want to say, as I always say, let's raise our glasses to fight evil forces. Right. Absolutely. Whiskey for my men. Beer Beer for for my horses. horses. Thank you all very much for joining us today on the No Bull Roadhouse Show. Thank you. All right. It's time to close up shop for now. But join us again when you re-enter the No Bull Roadhouse. See you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.